Well, not surprising, we're going to talk about Mother's Day today. We're going to take a break from our series on First uh, John. We'll come back to that next week, but I um, always hate to pass up an opportunity to give thanks and acknowledge the roles that moms have in our lives. And so we're going to spend some time doing that um, uh, this morning. And, you know, if it was Father's Day, I would be uh, launching into dad jokes. Um, as you know, that's one of my favorite things. But it's hard to find mom jokes. They're just not out there. But I did find, as I was looking on the Internet, that there are mom memes, those uh, little sayings or pictures that you can see on the uh, computer. And so I thought I would just uh, show a few to sort of set us in a tone for our time together this day. Um, Great Mother's Day idea gifts. Here's another one, not so much funny, but so very true. Third one. You know, I experienced that in my household growing up, and um, and then a um, last one that I think captures wonderfully the difference between fathers and mothers. Um, if you look at that, um, it's kind of hard to see the dad, but the, the dad's eating a hot dog. Some ketchup has spilled on his son's face, and so he's licking it off with his tongue. Um, you know, oftentimes when we uh, do uh, Mother's Day services, we talk about those differences between dads and moms. It's a, a complementary contrast, but it is a contrast. But we've done that uh, for a number of years now, and so I thought we'd go a little bit different direction. Instead of talking about dads and moms, I thought we would talk about moms and moms. And so the title of today's sermon is A Tale of Two Mothers. And we're going to be looking at the lives of, of two pretty well-known biblical uh, figures, one of those being Eve the very first mother, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus. And just to note some of the contrast between these two individuals. We're going to start with Eve, and before we move into her life, um, I just want to say a few words in her defense, um, because it was not easy being Eve. Uh, when, when Eve had her first child, Cain, it wasn't just her first child, it was the first child. There'd never been a baby born before. And so Eve didn't have the advantage of moms and grandmothers who could, can coach and mentor to come alongside and, and give it advice to, to help them in the sort of those child-rearing years. They uh, were not there, and so Eve had to deal with this all on her own. There was no podcast that she could listen to. There was no books she could read. There's no YouTube videos that would help her in the midst of all of this. Instead, she just had to kind of launch into her own. She didn't, she didn't even have an opportunity to do some babysitting uh, where you get to learn on other people's kids um, and, and sort of get some pointers on what it means to, uh, to work with children as they're growing. Instead, uh, Eve just had to sort of launch into this uh, a complete new territory uh, all on her own. And so you got to give her some credit for, for doing that. But having said that, as we look at the life of Eve, we can also see that there are um, some um, areas where there was room for improvement in future generations. And so uh, some of those things that, um, that, that Eve maybe even learned from after her first child, but that marked her life in those earliest days, um, come to us out of the, the book of Genesis, the third chapter in verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to put the whole text on the, the screen. If you've got your Bible, you can turn open to that. Genesis, first book in the Bible, third chapter. And I'm going to skip around a little bit, so I'll make some note of that. But listen to how it describes um, this, um, this encounter that 
Eve had as she's as this first woman, this first part of creation um, is getting started there in the world. Beginning with the first verse of that third chapter, it says this. Now the servant was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, uh, he being the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what uh, God said, but that's how Satan works. He takes a little bit of truth, twists it around, and try to use it for his good. The woman responded to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, that being the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you must not touch it <clears throat> or you will die. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, sorry, down to verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me, and so I ate. As we look at the, the life of Eve, one of the things that stands out to us is the fact that she wasn't very good at listening to the directions of God. She disobeyed God there. And, and a part of me smiles when I read this, every time I read this, because in this reaction, even though she's only the second person there on the face of the earth, her response is so typically human, isn't it? I mean, think for just a moment about the setting here. She's in the Garden of Eden. It's paradise on earth. And God says to her, this place is for you and Adam. I want you to enjoy everything in it. I want you to, to take advantage of its bounty. But there's just one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat of this particular tree. So do you understand, Eve and Adam? It's all for you. You can eat whatever you want to eat. You can go wherever you want to go. Just don't eat of this one tree. So you're understanding me. Eve, you can, you can go wherever you want. You can enjoy the valleys. You can enjoy the hillsides. You can enjoy all of this. There's just one thing. Don't eat of this particular tree. And what does Eve go out and do? She eats of the one particular tree. And isn't that kind of the way that we work in life as well? Think about what God has given to us. We have so much bounty, so much blessings that we're surrounded with, whether it's uh, the ability to worship freely as we do or, or the food that's on our table or the clothes that's on our back or the families uh, that we get to, to live with or the jobs that we have or the transportation that gets us where we want to go or on the list could go. There's so much that God has blessed us with. And he said, there's just a few things that I don't want you to do because it's not in your best interest. And what do we end up doing? Those few things that are not in our best interest. And so we see that, uh, that in this response, in this disobedience to God, she's so very human. But in the process, she has rejected God's instruction not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 5, which we didn't read, but in verse 5 of this third chapter, it talks about the fact that Satan, the serpent, said to her that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Why was it that she had decided to eat from the tree? Well, I think in part because she wanted to be like God. Now, not in the sense of ruler of the universe, but God in the sense of, of one who was in charge, at the very least in charge of her own life. And again, isn't this kind of like all of us? We want to be in charge. 
As I think about the direction our society has moved in recent years, I think one of the, the, the reasons that we struggle in so many different ways is because we don't want to be subjective to anyone. We don't want to be subjective to spouses. We don't want to be subjective to, to bosses. We don't want to be subjective to our government. And we don't want to be in submission to God. And so, like Eve, we find ourselves wrestling with some of the things. And it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, male or female. Oh, we all have this same issue that we struggle with. But that wasn't the only thing that we note in, in Eve's life. Um, not only was she disobedient, but in the process, she decided to invite someone to join along with her in that. Um, and, of course, there wasn't many people to select from at that point. So she chose Adam to be her partner uh, in disobedience, her partner in crime at this particular moment. And again, isn't that a kind of our inclination? When we do something that we shouldn't be doing, don't we kind of want someone to come along with us? Um, I think of uh, kids that I've known who got caught shoplifting, and almost always there's somebody that they've brought along to be a part of that. And as we look throughout history, we see that there's all kinds of descriptions of, of individuals or partners uh, that, that um, kind of did those things they shouldn't be doing. And some of those might be Thelma and Louise or um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde or, or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's all kinds of examples of this. When we move into sin, it's not just us. We want others to share in that. And then we see that not only does she uh, engage in disobedience and involve someone else, but then when she's confronted by that, what does she do? Well, she blames even another party, the serpent here. When God says, what is this that you've done, Eve? Her response is, but, but God, it wasn't my fault. It was Satan's fault. The devil made me do it. And she's really no different than Adam. Adam blamed her. She played, blamed the serpent. Um, and again, I think that's just our natural tendency. But I've always wondered what would have happened if Adam and Eve, rather than getting defensive about this and passing the blame on to someone else, had just been honest with God and said, Lord, you're right. We messed up. I'm sorry that we did that. I, I repent. God, please forgive me for doing that which you asked us not to do. We see so many examples in Scripture of when individuals are honest with God and they confess their sins and they repent that God in his grace and mercy oftentimes not only forgives them in that, but often doesn't impose um, the penalties or the judgment that he had anticipated. We'll never know with Adam and Eve whether that would have been the case, but I always wonder a little bit about that. And what do all of these things have to do with Mother's Day? Well, they're all examples and demonstrations of kind of the person that, that Eve was, at least at the outset. And you see, I think these qualities and characteristics don't just impact Eve. I think they had an impact on her family as well. I mentioned just a few weeks ago that I'm not a big TV watcher, but when I do watch TV, I like to watch a kind of quasi-educational TV. And um, in the last month or two, I've really kind of gotten hooked on documentaries. And I've been watching a couple of documentaries that have to do with serial killers. And now I know it's probably not what you envisioned your pastor watching in his off time. Um, but maybe it's because my dad was in law enforcement. I just found it kind of fascinating to look at these. And as you look at these different serial killers that they've tracked uh, throughout history, one of the things that's a pretty consistent quality in their life is they come from very dysfunctional families. 
Um, now, sometimes these families look great on the outside, um, but once you get inside uh, the doors of the home, it's a very different situation. And so just think in your own mind, and I'll pose this as a question. If, if, if there's a mom and she does everything right according to the out kind of side world, she's, um, she is the one that's the team mother of the soccer and the baseball team. Uh, she is the one who uh, is the, uh, the president of the PTA. She is the one who uh, is the head of the boosters for choir and for band. She's the, uh, the, the one who, who goes to all of her children's programs. But when she gets home and the door's closed and nobody else is there, she's constantly um, ridiculing and yelling at her kids and her husband. As she's known among the family members for, for being kind of a chronic liar. You can't trust anything that she says. In addition to that, um, she's always drinking to the point of, of often being kind of inebriated. There's these two personas that are represented, and, and which of those two do you think is going to have uh, the greater impact on her kids? You see, children from a very young age have a remarkable ability to perceive beyond the facade. No matter how good that facade might be in the outward world, they see beyond that, especially those things that take place at home. And if as moms and dads we don't walk the talk, then I think it's those things that they see closest to home that have the greatest bearing, that shape and mold oftentimes in ways that we... Um, we can never recover from it. And we've seen examples of this in, in different uh, people. I think one of those is uh, Joan Crawford, if you've read the, the book Mommy Dearest, you know, of just how destructive that relationship was. So we have Eve, who, uh, again, uh, didn't have anything to guide her, um, but, but certainly left room for improvement in future generations. And then we have another mom. We have Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus and as we look at, uh, at Mary's life, um, there's a couple of places that give us a little bit of information, but not a lot. If you go to Matthew 1 or uh, Luke 1, there's a little bit of a description for us. But one of the things that's interesting there is there's no particular quality or characteristic that, that's uh, highlighted there in the text for us. And you kind of wonder why. You know, God wouldn't just pick anybody to be the mother uh, of, of Jesus, why isn't there some quality that's highlighted? And, and I think in the absence of that, the fact that there isn't something significant, that there's something kind of telling there, because I think what that suggests to us is that there wasn't just one quality. She wasn't just particularly kind or, or compassionate or helpful or supportive, that there were so many different qualities that there was really no point in, in, in looking to just one of those things. That Mary was, was so good in, in so many different areas that it was just sort of reflective of her personality. Now, I, I think I can say, probably with a, a fair amount of authority, that, that Mary was not kind of that Joan of Arc personality that was this powerful leader in business or government or in the military. She, she wasn't that Madame Curie type of personality that made this great discovery that changed humanity, though certainly her life had an impact on humanity. She wasn't a, a Fanny Crosby type of person whose deep faith was revealed in, in artistic and creative ways, such as the 9,000 hymns that Fanny Crosby wrote. No, instead, I think there was just a, a variety of qualities that were there, all of which complemented and, and provided the environment in which the Son of God 
was to be raised. Think for just a moment in your own life with your own moms. If I was to ask you to describe your mom, what are the special qualities and characteristics that would come to mind? And I don't mean that just rhetorically. I'm going to give you three or four seconds. Think about it. The qualities in, in your mom, what are those, those traits, those characteristics that come to mind? Take just a, a couple seconds to think about that. Uh, for me, as I think about my mom, um, I, I'm struck by the wonderful sense of humor that she had. She was an individual who was very smart. There was a feisty side uh, to my mom if you were around her much. She was one of those individuals that never met a stranger, which meant everywhere we went, uh, she would engage in various conversations as we went throughout the store. And one of the other things that, that um, I'll always remember at my mom, about my mom is that I never ever for a second doubted her deep love for me and for my sister. You see, as I think about my mom, there isn't just one thing that comes to mind. There's a number of different things to come to mind. I think that was probably true of Mary as well. There wasn't one specific attribute that's highlighted because she was just an individual who I think in general had a righteousness about her in her entirety. But it wasn't just that. As we look to Scripture, we see that there, there are some other things that, that her life demonstrated for us. For example, we see that she was a woman who was obedient to God. Remember when um, Mary's visited by <clears throat> the angel, and she gets some pretty startling news. Something's going to happen within her that has never happened uh, throughout history. And as the angel is having that conversation with her, it reads as follows in Luke 1, verses 35 and 38. Uh, the angels answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then in verse 38, Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to, be, to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Even though this was a very unusual set of situation, situation even though this is something I'm sure was uh, impossible for, for her to fully grasp. She said, God, I trust you. God, I'm going to place my life in your hands because being faithful and obedient to you is first and foremost in my life. And it makes me think as I, as I hear these words of, of the life of her son, Jesus, and when it was approaching the end there, as he's in the garden and he's, he's praying to God, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, if there's any way that I can avoid being crucified, Lord, I, I would love for that to be the case. But not my will, but yours be done. And as I think of the similarity between uh, Mary's attitude and Jesus' attitude, I can't help but wonder if, if maybe there was just a part of Mary that, that had been imprinted, that had been taught, that had been shown to Jesus, that he there came, then carried on into his own life and own ministry. And so we see with Mary that there was a righteousness about her, that she was obedient. We see that she was a nurturer. She was the one that largely had the responsibility of, <coughs> of equipping and, and uh, kind of training educating Jesus to, to become the man of God that he ended up uh, becoming. He was fully God, we know that, but he was also fully man. And as we see the end results of that, they're revealed to us in Luke, the second chapter, verse 52, where it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom 
and stature and in favor of God and men. You know, I, I think as we read these words in isolation, um, we don't think of a parental influence being present there. Instead, we just think, well, this is Jesus. I mean, this is just the way that he would have grown up. But I think we're not giving enough credit to, uh, to Mary and to Joseph, and especially to Mary. Why especially to Mary? Well, Scripture indicates to us that, that at some point in Jesus' life, and the, the indication, and it was fairly early on, that Joseph is not present anymore. We, we're not given the details as to why that's the case. Uh, the summation is that he passed away of some kind of circumstances. But what that means is that Mary ended up having to raise Jesus as a single mom. That's not an easy task. And yet she obviously did a very good job in that because not only um, uh, was he wise, not only was he healthy, but he gained the favor both of God and of those in the region of Galilee in which he lived. We see that Mary was an individual who was righteous, who was obedient, who was nurturing, also inspiring. I don't know if you think of it in this way, but did you know that, that Mary was uh, the one that was at least impartially responsible for the first miracle that Jesus ever performed? Now, there would always have been a first miracle at some point, um, but the timing, the place, the location, Mary had a significant influence in all of that. We know that because as we read in John, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5, these words... On the third day, there was a wedding, and it took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why are you telling me about this? Jesus replied. The time isn't for me to show who I really am, or the time for me to show who I really am isn't here yet. Still, his mother said to the servants, do what he tells you. You see, from Jesus' perspective, he, he wasn't quite ready to start things. He was going to wait just a little bit longer, but Mary had confidence in him. She knew he was ready. She knew that, that, that he could do what needed to be done. She encouraged him in the midst of all of this. And isn't that what we see in, in so many of the mothers that we think of in our own lives? They had hope in us, uh, hope in us uh, far uh, sooner than we had hope or confidence in ourselves. Mary demonstrated that to Jesus himself. And then last but not least, a, a quality I think that uh, at least almost every mother I've ever known has, she was loving. She was loving. And we get indications of this not because of the good times that she shared with Jesus, not because she was there at a, a wedding or there when he was uh, coming home from work or there when she was raising the other kids. We know this because Mary was there in the difficult times the hard times. We know that Jesus, or that Mary was there as Jesus hung upon the cross. And think for just a moment what it would be like as a mom to witness that, or as a dad. Your son, or maybe your daughter's hanging there with, with nails driven through the hands and the feet, through the, uh, the crown of thorn thrust on the head, the, the back having been scourged to the point that it's, it's almost impossible to look at. Think of how hard that would be. And then just a few days later, she uh, got ready to go to the tomb, or just right after that, she uh, went the next day to go to the, the tomb. And um, as she moved toward that tomb, just a reminder that, that Mary didn't go expecting uh, the, the tomb to be empty. None of the disciples had anticipated that. 
But on the third day, she went uh, thinking that she was going to prepare the body, a body that had been brutalized. That's in her mind's eye what she was going to see. Of course, uh, hallelujah, that wasn't the case, but I think as a demonstration of the love that Mary had for her son, that she was willing to experience and, and undergo what would have just been horrific circumstances because that's the kind of mom that she was. As we think about uh, Eve and as we think about Mary, we see that there are some similarities in their life. They both were mothers. They both experienced some emotional pain as they saw their sons die. And I think in both cases, uh, including Eve, that they loved their children. But in other ways, in other ways, these moms were so different from one another. One mother was disobedient and brought sin into the world. The other mother was obedient and brought a savior into the world. One mother was focused on fulfilling her own will. The other was committed to doing God's will. One mother listened to the voice of the evil one. The other listened to the voice of the holy one. One mother raised Cain, literally. Uh, the other mother raised Jesus. One mother brought death into the world. The other mother brought eternal life into our world. And so as we think about moms, and not just moms, this applies to, to dads and others as well. Folks, we give thanks for, for those qualities and those characteristics that shaped us in the right way. Of those things that were done, of those things that were said, of those things that were taught that helped us to become the men and women that God would have us to be. But God continued to use us in that way. Some of us are past the years of being moms and dads, but there's still uh, grandkids uh, probably out there, maybe nieces and nephews, certainly others uh, maybe that aren't a part of our family. May God stir within us these same qualities that we see evidenced in Mary. So that in the same way that, that she shaped and molded the life of the Son of God, we may have an influence on those that God brings into our midst as well. Amen.